People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. The Sweet Company is a privately owned real estate investor operator based in San Francisco with a venerable 80-plus year history of investment, development, partnership, and management of commercial properties in major U.S. markets. Today's conversation with its CEO, Jim Carboni, and President Connor Kidd takes us through a period that the firm experienced over the last two years and how those times have helped the company reaffirm its strategy and vision for the future. Oh, and Jim announces that Connor will be taking over the company, which was hinted by Connor's latest promotion and now reaffirmed during our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Jim and Connor. Connor, Jim, good afternoon. How are you? Great. Good afternoon. How are you, Vlad? Where do we find you? Are you guys uh, back in the office? Uh, although it's Friday, so maybe that gives you a chance to work from home like uh, some of your tenants? Um, you know, since since the Omicron variant has spiked, um, we've, I would say, shifted more to discouraging people from coming into the office. So uh, I'm, I'm at home uh, in, in Marin. I live just north of the city. Jim? Uh, same for me. I'm at home. Uh, um, you know, it's Friday afternoon and I should be on the golf course, but that's how seriously I take my job this week. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Um, well, I appreciate you guys uh, taking a chance to speak with us. I would love to uh, just get a little bit of a, sort of an introduction from both of you, um, more for kind of, uh, you know, our audience, um, a little bit about Swig, a little bit about, you know, uh, Jim and Connor, sort of how your, you know, career paths led you to where you are today. Uh, Connor, I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, so uh, first on Swig, uh, Swig is a family-owned company. Uh, it has a long history in real estate. Uh, I think it's over 85 years. Um, we, for a long time, were known as being associated with the Fairmont Hotel chain, but we sold out of that business in the 90s and have been focused on a urban office uh, portfolio based in New York, specifically Midtown Manhattan, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and also LA. So we're in three primary markets that we've been focused on. Uh, in New York, we are the um, investor. And then in uh, the California, for the most part, we are an operator. So we're vertically integrated and are delivering space that we think adds value for businesses. Uh, and we have everything from asset management, construction management. Uh, we have staff that are dedicated to uh, sustainability and uh, 
what I think a lot of people call prop tech, but we think more of is sort of what is what is the emerging brand. Um, and so we've, we've established a brand called H3E to help us deliver sort of a suite of products and amenities. Uh, it's also a company with technology to our office tenant base. Um, so that's, that's kind of maybe on Swig and maybe I'll give you an intro on me as well. Um, so I uh, actually grew up in Oklahoma um, and made my way out to the West Coast to go to Stanford uh, and in short, never left. Um, so I've, I've, uh, I joined SWIG in 2009 out of graduate school from Stanford. I did both my undergrad um, in engineering and then got an MBA from Stanford. Uh, joined SWIG in 2009 uh, on the investing team. I was with the investing team until about um, I think 2018, if I get that right. Um, and then actually Jim asked me to lead the asset management team starting in 2019. Um, so I've been leading up asset management uh, starting in the beginning of 2019. Um, and it's been quite quite a period of time to be leading asset management for an office portfolio uh, with two of the last two years being in a pandemic. Um, so it's definitely been a little bit of a trial by fire. And uh, thankfully I have survived and Jim has uh, seen confidence in me and giving me a little more opportunity. And I became president this past uh, January. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about that asset management uh, portion of that. But uh, before we get into that, Jim, a little bit about sort of your background and sort of how you got to San Francisco. Uh, well, I was actually uh, born in San Francisco. I'm one of the few natives who stuck around. So you got here uh, on day one. <laughs> I did. And I, uh, I spent my formative years in Marin County, and um, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I've been in the real estate industry for 41 plus years. Um, and I have to say that, you know, one of the things that I'm really proud of, I spent uh, a number of years in uh, different capacities that my career was, was evolving. Uh, I spent 22 years at originally Reef and then Deutsche Bank, uh, where I had a number of different roles. But one of the things I'm really proud of is that I've been in a, a position to help uh, mentor and develop a number of people. And when I joined Reef, uh, the board actually, you know, wanted me, and I'm not sure I was worthy, but they wanted me to help uh, decide who my successor was. And so for the last four or so years, you know, I've been working with Connor um, and uh, pleased to say that with his promotion, it's, it's official now that he is my successor. So. Oh, excellent. Okay. All right. Well, it is, it is an interesting time to, to, um, you know, turn over, you know, the company that's been around for, uh, Connor, as you said, nearly 85 years. Uh, you know, this is probably, it's, you know, second, second century in which it's, in which it is operating. Correct. Um, but I would say, I would say the last two years have really been super interesting. I think probably maybe unlike any of the, you know, you know, previous 85, um, not to get too much into sort of how COVID has impacted the industry, but just a little bit in terms of, you know, how have things evolved, right? And how has how has that perhaps evolved for your company specifically 
more so than you know what what it's done throughout the uh, industry across the world. Well, I think that we were um, going into COVID incredibly fortunate. We have generally been more of, I would say, a defensive-minded company and trying to be prepared for a potential downturn. Um, and so when uh, COVID, the onset of COVID happened, um, I believe we had about a 93% lease portfolio with a weighted average lease term in excess of five years. Um, so we actually felt uh, pretty fortunate um, in terms of our positioning as where we were as a company. Um, and this, so we had, I think, actually what a lot of the capital markets wanted. Uh, and really, the, I think the opportunity of 2020 and 2021 was uh, record level of liquidity in the system, specifically in terms of the debt markets and record low interest rates. Um, so I think we, we borrowed and financed approximately $2 billion under 3%. Um, and most of that was seven and 10 year dated term. And so I think that what we did is we had a uh, well-positioned company and we took advantage of what I think was the opportunity of the last two years uh, to really position the company going forward um, in terms of having lease commitments that are a little bit longer. And actually our vault has actually grown over the last couple of years, um, which is a little bit surprising. Most people have had it shrink. Um, and we're, we're well positioned, I think, for the next few years, and we're looking to grow. Yeah, and I think it's also important to say, which, which you, you know, mentioned, is that you, know, you guys were sort of anticipating something happening, right? I mean, we had a long kind of positive cycle during the sort of 2010s, if you will, right? There was some anticipation that at some point something will happen. Nobody obviously thought that it would be a global pandemic, but, but there was some anticipation that at some point things will will evolve. And, 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 and I think that's what you were saying, right, right, Connor, when you said you were sort of kind of expecting uh, some, some of these things and, you know, positioning the company in a, in we're a, in definitely a more cautious and, and concerned that something might happen. Yeah. Uh, obviously we had no idea there'd be a global pandemic. Um, so I think we were, um, it, it worked out okay that it was something that, uh, didn't impact the economy for a prolonged period of time. You know, what happened in the great financial crisis in 2008, that was a very prolonged uh, impact to the financial system. Um, and so I think we were very, everyone was very lucky that um, what happened to the economy while very deep and negative, uh, you know, I think the economy has almost added back all the jobs that were lost right. in record time. Right. Now, you guys are an, an urban office portfolio, you know, based in New York, San Francisco and LA, you, you know, essentially um, those cities have been impacted, I would say quite a bit. Um, how are you guys doing? You know, what what are some of the observations that, you know, you've had from your portfolio compared to the you know, rest of the industry and maybe some lessons learned there? Um, well, I think um, there's there's uh, definitely a, a I feel like a media headline right now, or at least there was for a period of time, that no one was going to be in the cities. Everyone was leaving the cities for good, uh, and I feel like that story and uh, naysayers have said that before. And um, it feels like people always come back to the cities. It's where people want to be, uh, especially New York, San Francisco, and LA. Uh, in New York, um, it's really been a story, and I think this will go across the country. 
uh, a flight to quality. So there's been actually quite strong leasing activity at the top tier buildings. So your trophy to sort of really top end class A markets. We're fortunate enough to have one of those and it's the Grace Building that sits on Bryant Park. Um, and we've actually uh, leased all of our space. So we do not have any space available to lease in the Grace Building uh, until 2023. So, um, you know, we did, forget the exact number, but it was a couple hundred thousand square feet of leasing over the last year. So uh, really quite, quite strong flight quality. Now um, in other markets, if you're looking at class B and honestly pick your market, San Francisco, LA, San Francisco, it's, it's, it's really difficult. So class B vacancy in most markets is anywhere from 30 to 40%. Uh, and so if you are a commodity class B building, it's really difficult and you need to figure out how to be something different. Uh, now we own some of that, I'll be quite honest. And we are working on trying to differentiate some of those buildings uh, by you know, having spaces that are more thoughtfully designed and prepared, have amenities. Um, I mentioned our H3E uh, program a little bit earlier. So we're, we're rolling out apps at all of our buildings where tenants can interact digitally with not only property management, but also the community that is around the office building. So really trying to engage our tenants in multiple ways, in addition to having amenities such as conference centers and where, where it's appropriate fitness centers. Hey, Vlad, if I could just offer a slightly different long-term perspective. Um, you know, I, I think that, as I mentioned, I've been in this business for a long time, and I think I've seen four or five down cycles in the uh, reciprocating number of up cycles. And, and the question that I always hear is, you know, is this a cyclical or secular change in the market? And, um, you know, I, I would answer that question the same way that I've answered it in the past, which is, you know, there, there's still a lot of water to pass under the bridge in terms of what's going to happen. And I agree with Connor, there's definitely been a flight to, to quality but, uh, you know, whether it'll be more work from home, more hybrid, it's uh, the jury's still out. And, and, you know, unfortunately, so much of what we read is driven by um, whether it's architects or brokers pushing their own book. You know, if it's, if it's uh, uh, too much sublease space, it's brokers that are pushing tenant reps, and if it's, uh, if it's architects, it's, well, the space has to change in a certain way or another. I think, I think it's way too early to tell what the long-term effect will be uh, from, from COVID on, our, uh, on the real estate industry. Yeah, th that's an interesting uh, perspective, Jim, and I would, uh, I, I would love to sort of, you know, just follow up on that quickly. You know, what, what makes you think that it's going to be, and I'm not questioning it, I agree with you, I don't think that we've found a new normal <laughs> quite yet, right? Uh, what in your experience gives you that sense that we still have quite a bit to go before this this sort of settles? Uh, well, you know, going back to uh, when I started in the business in the mid 80s, when the downtown plan was passed and there were two or three million square feet of office space that was uh, approved quickly and developed and there was no market for it. Uh, everybody thought that downtown was uh, 
in for, you know, and, and, and Pacific Telesis and Standard Oil uh, moved to Bishop Ranch. And that was the end of the downtown. Then 1989, things got better. Uh, then we had, you know, the failings of the savings and loan industry. And I remember specifically going to a conference in the Silicon Valley where somebody uh, offered that there was 30 million square feet of R&D space available. And that was a 25-year supply. And the, the Silicon Valley would never be fully occupied again. And it took, you know, at that point, about four years for all that excess space to be uh, absorbed. Uh, you know, in 2001, we went through the tech crash, right? Uh, and there were millions of feet in San Francisco that had been leased, were never occupied. And uh, we ended up absorbing all that space. So I, I think that there, you can go back and look at, you know, what's happened historically and see a lot of ebbs and flows. And this may be a good one or a bad one. I, I don't know. But um, I think there's a lot more uh, to track than, than we've seen so far. Yeah. So the COVID pandemic has been an accelerator of, you know, trends, um, you know, technology in certain ways, how we interact with it, how we use it. Uh, you know, it was emerging, but now it's ever present, right? Um, when you look at commercial real estate, what are some of the trends that were kind of, you know, just beginning to bud, but now are, you know, full on going to really be with us, you know, forever, I suppose? Uh, well, I mean... Uh, one of the maybe the most obvious ones to me, uh, which I'm, I'm sorry if this isn't super insightful, but we're doing this via Zoom. Um, and before the pandemic, I don't think I'd ever use Zoom. So um, I think the most obvious one is, and, and now all of our board meetings, all our investment committee meetings are being done via Zoom. Um, and so I think that that is something that's definitely here to stay. Um, I'll, uh, I'll acknowledge that's, that maybe seems a bit obvious right now. Um, you know, another one that I think we've seen that I think was starting, but I think is, is become more of a ubiquitous is having landlords have various different technologies and ways to communicate with tenants. Um, so, you know, before it was predominantly through a long time ago, it'd be mail, then you had calls. Um, I guess to some degree you'd have faxes. Um, now you have, or at least we do, we have an app that all of our tenants can have on their, on their phone and they can see what's happening in the building, see what's happening in the surrounding community. Uh, we've done little scavenger hunts in the app to keep people engaged during this time or maybe they're not physically in the office. Um, so I think there's definitely some things that have changed from that perspective. Um, you know, from a building operation system, I know we as a company have implemented some changes that have made it more streamlined. You know, it used to be there once a week, we had to go through a big process just to run checks. I know that sounds maybe a little bit antiquated, but still a lot of payments are done via check. Um, and so we've actually implemented various different systems where most of our payments now don't, we don't need to be present to actually process physical checks. So we've implemented payment systems that allow us to reduce the effort and man hours to actually process uh, a check run. Um, and then the last one I think is really interesting, which is more around sustainability. There's been a lot more enhanced focus around sustainability. Uh, 
and you're starting to see uh, sensors that is getting put on really everything. And we have sensors um, on most of our buildings in, in numerous ways. And there's companies that help you measure and track that data. Um, and we've been putting out, um, I think this is our third year in a row, we've done a sustainability report where we're tracking how much our greenhouse gases are being put out. Um, and you know, now that we've, we've got the data, we're starting to track it, we're thinking about what are our appropriate targets that we can be setting as a company to uh, do our part. And you know, we're not ready to say what those are yet, but I think the first step is really having the data um, and commercial real estate is a, honestly a big carbon emitter. Um, but we need to first get the data and figure out how we can improve it uh, before we can do anything about it. So I think that's another sort of whole, there's almost a whole cottage around uh, the tracking and the sensors and uh, feeding the data and then figuring out how to interpret it. Are you doing this primarily of your sort of own initiative? Is this something that your you know tenants are asking you to do? You know, who's, who's driving some of that? Uh, this is on our own initiative. So, um, you know, I think there are tenants that have asked for it uh, in our concerned about being with a landlord that's conscientious. Um, we're going through the process, for instance, to certify uh, 630 Folsom, which is one of our recently completed buildings as a well building certified, um, which is a little bit different than well health and safety. Well health and safety came out during the pandemic and we actually certified all of our portfolio well health and safety uh, to make our tenants feel comfortable being the buildings. But uh, the well building certification is one that really takes into account Lead is about energy and well is about what the health of the occupants of the space are. And so, um, you know, and that was, I think, one of the big reasons that Asana decided to move to 633 Folsom is that we were focused on uh, what it would be for the occupants. So it, I think it's starting to go there and tenants are starting to ask for it, but it's, it's, you know, it's not ubiquitous. But we started the initiative for our sustainability report for us, driven by us uh, as a company and our owners. Uh, and, you know, I think that now the next step, now that we have the data, we're starting to get it, is to start to see how we can improve it. What about, um, you know, the way you guys, um, you know, structure leases? Are there any changes there? Like, is that evolving? Are, you know, lease terms evolving, length of lease? Um, you know, like at, on, I'm just also curious, like on, on that side of the business, you know, how the end users are also reacting to what is happening and if they're already beginning to kind of, you know, ask for things that maybe weren't, uh, you know, the norm five, six years ago. I think that it's, we probably should think about this as per, per different market. Um, so in New York, by and large, it's still, they actually just have always had longer lease terms. I, I don't actually really understand why, why there's such a dramatic difference. But New York, it's pretty standard to have 10 to 20 year lease terms. Um, and, and that's pretty common. In the West Coast, it's been more in the five to 10 year range, generally, broadly speaking. Um, now, with these smaller companies, specifically in San Francisco and LA, you know, you talk about a five, 10 year lease, they don't know what they're going to be in two years, let alone five. Um, so I think that the, that has really put pressure on lease terms in the San Francisco, predominantly Bay Area, Silicon Valley for shorter lease terms because they think, okay, I need to I need to get to the next year or two. And I don't know what's beyond that. I'm hoping to double or triple or, you know, grow exponentially in size uh, so they can't predict their space needs. Um, 
So I think that there has been a reaction. That's really, I think, where WeWork was quite successful in San Francisco is offering that flexibility and other co-working models. Um, and so I think the trick with that is how does space get built so it can be flexible and reusable for the next landlord? Because the only way it can work to do, at least from a landlord's perspective, these short, shorter term leases is if you don't have to move the kitchen or the conference room every time a new tenant comes in. Um, and so we're actually in the process of, we're, we're gonna make a space market ready in Mountain View that's 27,000 feet uh, that could potentially end up being for flexible users. Um, and I think the key is really in the design and build out and have it be reusable. Uh, and then you hope that it's something you can get 10 years of use out of, but you might do you know, two to six lease deals over that time and hopefully not have to change uh, where the kitchen is every time. Andy and Vlad, if I could just throw in a comment and uh, the first comment I'd like to say is that, you know, Connor and the asset management group have really done a great job getting us uh, in our buildings into the lead um, uh, uh, model and um, the fact that we're so focused on other aspects of ESG now is really important. And there is one thing I wanted to say is that if you look at our company, you know, our definition of long-term ownership is a little bit different than most, even institutions. You know, we've owned the building we, we headquarter in since 1954. Um, we really believe in long-term ownership and that gives us a little more flexibility in terms of what we can do when we're improving space because we're not looking for a two or three year payback necessarily. You know, this is something we can plan for a longer term ownership. And that's, that's really important for us as a company. Yeah. And, and actually that's a great segue into uh, a follow-up question that I had for, you know, both of you, which is, uh, you know, as a private investor, as a sort of a, you know, um, relatively smaller player compared to some of these, you know, bigger institutional kind of folks, right? Do you have an advantage in the marketplace to maybe move faster, do things a little bit differently, right? Um, I, I think you you answered a portion of that, but I'd love to hear if there's anything else about that that sort of gives you um, a better angle. Um, well, I think that we have the ability definitely to move faster. Uh, we don't necessarily have to go through a whole bunch of layers of approvals for uh, various different things that maybe some larger institutions do. Um, generally, I would say the decisions are going to lie predominantly with Jim or with myself. And so we can, you know, evaluate a problem and make a decision relatively quickly, um, you know, such as we're spec building 27,000 feet in Mountain View, as I mentioned just a little bit ago. Um, and, and I think that that does have an advantage. Um, now, the one thing that we are you know, need to be focused on is we got to find the right size um, because we don't necessarily have the balance sheet to take down a million feet of, you know, million square foot building. So, you know, we're trying to do buildings probably more in the 100 to 200,000 foot size range. So we got to find the right opportunity and line it up with hopefully something that we can add value to. We don't necessarily just want to buy a building that we you know, clip a coupon. Um, ideally, we're finding something that we can improve upon either through our knowledge of environmental expertise or physical improvements or design. Uh, we really like to, to bring our perspective to an asset. And, and I would add to that, I think that um, 
to the advantages that Connor just mentioned, one of the disadvantages is that, you know, we're a, uh, a privately held long-term owner of real estate and we're really focused on our balance sheet. So one of the things we won't do to be competitive is push debt on a particular deal to make the numbers work. So, you know, a lot of our competitors are willing to go to 75 or 80 or whatever percent of market value when their rehab is done. We're, we're not willing to do that because we think that puts us at too much risk. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So let's uh, shift to focus towards, towards the future um, and kind of how the business is evolving and uh, how SWIG will evolve also, right? Um, Connor, you mentioned the, your uh, H3E group a couple of times. Um, uh, I would love to sort of learn about, you know, what you guys sort of look at. And you've talked about this a little bit, but maybe now with a little more specificity, um, certain types of services, companies in this, you know, prop tech world that you think will be successful and kind of how, uh, how do you look at that? Do you look at it more as a user, how to integrate it with, uh, with your business, uh, or are there perhaps other ways in, you know, through which you can see that and, you know, try to think about, you know, what's, what's going to work or not? Um, well, well, first and foremost, I, um, I can't take the credit for, uh, the H3E initiatives. Uh, it's really led by Deborah Boyer, uh, whom I, I think, you know, pretty well, Vlad. Um, and so Deborah really leads up that, um, whole technology sustainability effort along with, uh, one of her colleagues, uh, Kyrie Tan. Um, and so they, we have two people that are focused on that. Um, and I think we don't think of it really as end users or, owners, we try to think of, you know, who are companies that we can partner with. Uh, so I think we view our, it's technology partners for us. That's, that's kind of how we think about it. And who are companies that we think are delivering services that uh, are, are going to meet the needs of what we need. And then also, you know, that we can work together and hopefully have an improvement and both the, benefit the experience of our tenants and also benefit the communities that our buildings are in. So I think those are kind of the ways we think about it. Um, to get more specific, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about, I think that there's a whole industry around uh, sustainability and measuring of greenhouse gases and electricity and energy. And I think those are going to be here for uh, the future to come because I think they play a vital role in helping the commercial real estate industry realize its carbon footprint and improve it. Um, and then from... I think the tenant experience, uh, you know, having that connectivity and apps, I think are, are critical. Um, there's a whole another segment that we haven't talked about, which is around the leasing experience. Um, and that has really seen a huge amount of consolidation. Um, and it used to be that there were a whole bunch of different companies trying to help lease space in one way or the other. And that's really consolidated uh, down to VTS. And so they're, they're now in most every building um, and they're in most of our buildings uh, through, their, through various different broker partnerships. Um, so I think we've already seen that kind of go to one big market, market landscape and sort of collapse into a primary dominant uh, competitor. So I don't know that that's going to change a whole lot, but I still think that that's going to continue to be a part of leasing space is making sure your space is on the view of the space. Um, the other thing that we did in the... Uh, the, the pandemic is we felt like all of our space needed to be uh, virtual. 
You need to be able to tour the space virtually. You couldn't just be able to send out a flyer that had pictures. So we worked with a group called Matterport and all of our various different brokers. And you could go on any one of our listings and do a virtual walkthrough of the space. Um, they call it a dollhouse view where you can see a dollhouse online. You can go into any floor and go through the space. Uh, and, and it's really quite amazing. You sit there and click around and get full 360 degree views all around from any point you want in a space. So that virtual touring aspect, I think it, it allows tenants to actually see a whole bunch of spaces a lot faster. You know, it used to be, you know, a tenant would go out and they would tour five or six spaces in a day. Uh, and that would be a long, exhausting day going from building to building to building. Now they can go through 20 in a day. Uh, so I don't know if that makes that easier for a tenant or not, but it definitely makes the time more efficient of getting a feel for what the space is like to be able to get an initial take and initial cut virtually. What about growth? You you um, you know explained that a little bit at the at the top of sort of our our interview, and I know you probably can't you know you know tell us much about where you might intend to grow, but um, are there certain you know characteristics of certain markets that you guys are you know considering, um, and and is that something that's more of a of an immediate kind of uh, initiative for you guys, or something that you'll consider as sort of opportunities arise? Uh, we, we are definitely looking to grow. Um, so I think that we feel that, as I mentioned earlier, we were very fortunately positioned in the pandemic uh, and we have a very healthy balance sheet right now. And we believe now is a very interesting time to look at acquiring additional office buildings. Um, so we are looking to grow. I would say uh, we're considering adding a new market for the first time in, in a very long time in the company's history. Um, that process is underway. It will be a market in the Western U.S. Um, so all of our growth is predominantly focused in either San Francisco, L.A., or a new market to be added in Western U.S. Um, and I think that we're going to grow not only in us buying buildings, but we're going to look to bring partners in. So um, we're not only going to buy buildings on our, our behalf, but we're looking to add significant number of third-party capital uh, that for like-minded investors. So we want to try to find uh, like-minded investors that want to approach real estate in the same way that we do uh, and can appreciate the platform we've built uh, and the value that we can add to buildings that we buy and own. And I do think that one advantage we've got as an investor is that, uh, you know, we built up a pretty significant balance sheet to acquire real estate. But we're not under any pressure to uh, deploy that capital immediately. So we can look for the right opportunities, whether it's on our own balance sheet or with partners. So we definitely want to grow. But one advantage we have over a lot of our competitors is we don't need to grow to, ge to generate fees to, uh, to keep our, our doors open. And what does that mean for you as an organization? Do you have to change, evolve, you know, as you kind of experience that, you know, growth, I think the answer is yes and yes on both of those, but uh, would, would love to just sort of hear your, your thoughts on that transformation. Well, I'll take a shot. I mean, I don't, I don't think we have to change or evolve. I think we've been doing this, uh, you know, if you go back to our founding, um, Ben Swig was in a lot of ways, the ultimate deal maker. 
he loved to buy real estate, own real estate, improve it, and sell it. And we've been doing that for the last 80 years. I don't know how many years it is, 85 years. Uh, so in my mind, uh, much of what we're doing right now is business as usual. Um, you know, we're looking for great opportunities where we can improve real estate and uh, own, you know, midterm to long term. So I kind of jump in. I, I don't. I don't think what we're doing is all that much different than we've been doing in the past. I think it's our plan is basically build upon our core competency, which is taking taking urban office buildings and improving them. And I think that's what our our plan is. Um, we did just have uh, a new addition to the team with Stephanie Ting, who joined us from Morgan Stanley. Um, and so Stephanie uh, was at Morgan Stanley over a decade, um, and she's going to be helping lead, lead identifying new, new opportunities for us. Um, but I don't think it changes what, what we're actually doing. Now, as we close this conversation, I, you know, I like to kind of always ask a question. You, know, you, you guys have been with the company for, for a little while. You know, what, what would you kind of tell your you know, younger self in terms of you know, how to get into this industry, how to do better? Um, you know, maybe what have you done right? Uh, what would you improve on? Uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, I guess maybe as the, uh, the senior senator, I would jump in and say, uh, I think what's really important is I look at our company and I, I've obviously worked with uh, a number of different companies. You know, it's, it's really important to be honest, to be straightforward, to deal with your investors, your uh, tenants, um, openly, you know, there's always marketing that goes on, but uh, I think that over my last 40 plus years, I hope nobody looks back at my career and says, well, you know, he was a real shark. He, uh, he misled us on deals or he did something that wasn't uh, fair. Um, but when I look at the younger generation of investors, and it's not just Connor, it's not just our company, but I've got sons who are in the real estate business, um, I look at what they're capable of, and it's so far over and above what um, my cohorts, my, my compatriots were, were capable of 40 years ago. So I am really excited about what the real estate industry uh, presents going forward. And I think it will be, uh, uh, you know, a fabulous growth industry as we all look back on. Those were pretty amazing uh, words of wisdom and somewhat difficult to follow. I think the only one I can add, at least I remember early in my career, uh, is when you're young in your career, you, you, you feel like you measure things in like days or months. Um, and a real estate transaction or a development or a lease, you know, they, they, take, they take time. And so I think there's a, a level of patience that you need to have early in your career to know that I need to see a certain number of deals, whether it be leases, whether it be financings, whether it be sales or acquisitions, uh, just to get experience and see what they are and, and just be patient and get that experience um, 
I, I think that's the hardest thing early in real estate careers when people are young is, is feeling like I want to keep, I want to be moving. I want to be doing things. And, um, and at some point you just need to have a little bit of patience and let things play out. Jim, Connor, thank you both for taking the time to chat with us again. Uh, stay safe. Cheers, lad. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. Music